Matthew chapter 13, let's, uh, let's go about the, the, the business uh, end of this tonight. I love worship. I love hearing about what God's doing with, uh, you know, kingdom builders and live stream and Tupelo, Mississippi. I love crawling into that man's beard for a second and hearing testimonies. But night, we're, I'm sorry, today, we're here to get in the Word of God. Somebody say amen. We're here to study this thing. It's so important. So we started the series two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Week number one, we talked about the dirt that gets hardened. How, how Jesus is speaking, I believe, to our hearts and how it's vital for us to keep our hearts plowed, if you will, pliable, uh, so seeds can get in. If it can't get in, if the hurts of this life and the, the, the calluses that get on our souls from being around people, if they become too much for us, then the word hits and we're like, well, if that was true, then where was God when? Why didn't God fill in the blank, right? And so we talked about that two Sundays ago, and if you are dealing with that now, go back two Sundays and listen to that message. It was heartfelt really saw a lot of freedom. I, I saw some pretty tough men break down into tears and talk about it afterwards because God was just plowing up ground. Last week we talked about the, the, the seed that's sown amongst the rocky soil, so it sprouts up, but there's not any real room for it to root. So we talked about not only having the heart engaged in our relationship with Christ, but also our mind. I, mean, I just know that our, our mind is an important part of our faith. We said this last week. Let me say it again. Your heart needs your mind to be engaged for the times when our faith doesn't make sense. You just have to know what God said. You just have to hold on to the promises of God. Even though your heart says, run for your life, it's not true, things aren't going well, you need the word of God in your head to feed your heart. And tonight we're going to talk about uh, good dirt, but it's got some bad seeds in it. And we're going to talk about this as we pick it up. Matthew chapter 13, here we go, verse 7. Other seed, Jesus says, fell among the thorns, and these thorn seeds grow up amongst the wheat seeds. I made up the wheat, but that's what it is in my head. The thorn seeds grow up among the wheat seeds, and when they all grow up together, it gets choked out. Of course, that makes sense, but they have no idea what he's talking about. So he comes back and he explains it to his disciples in verse 22. The seed falling amongst the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but, now watch what happens. This is the weeds, the worries of this life. Anybody here dealt with worry in the last eight minutes? Okay. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Anybody, you know, you joined the thing, you, you, you bought the late-night infomercial to raise mink in your bathtub part-time to become wealthy beyond your wildest imagination, right? Okay. The, the deceitfulness of wealth, that's what happens. It chokes the word, just like a weed would choke wheat. It takes the sunlight, it takes the water, it takes the, the nutrients from the soil, it chokes it, and in the end, it cannot come to a place of maturity and fruitfulness. Now, two other Gospels mention the same parable, but they added some things, or he subtracted something. I don't know. The way they remembered it went down on paper differently as inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to read those tonight. Mark, his Gospel, uh, chapter 4, verse 18, says this, Still others like seed, sown amongst thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, he adds one, and the desires for other things besides the word, the other stuff, come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, when Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, his, his gospel contained this part. The seed that fell amongst thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, so there's a little more of a verb, but this is as they go on in their life. As they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Just, just being honest, how many, how many relate to this one? I relate to this one. I, I think if there's anything that's hindering my, my growth, it's that the, the greatest currency of the kingdom is trust. It's relational trust. I trust the author. I know the word. That's good. But if you don't trust the author of the word to believe the word and live the word, there's, there's a disconnect. 
And so I, I think it's one of, those, one of those things where we have to be careful in our own hearts and minds to say, I, I, I need to be honest with me because who else would know that the decisions I make on a day-to-day basis are being affected by cares, worries, pleasures, desires for other things. And certainly, if there's been anything that has choked the word from fruitfulness in my life, it's those things. Are you agreeing with me so far? Are you, are you feeling what I'm, what I'm talking about? Are you smelling what I'm stepping in? There you go. Pastor Adam Cook. He got it for me, but he quotes it more often than I do. So here's the way I see the, the math of it, is the seeds of the Word of God plus the weeds of worry, and I, I took all those other words and put them into a paragraph, worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, riches and pleasure, and the desire for other things. When you have this and you have this, what you end up with, the Word says, is choke the Word, do not mature, making it unfruitful. I took those out of all three of those gospel accounts. And, and I think you see that. Do you, how many of you guys see that? Say amen. Okay. So here, here's my take on it. Here's the King Jim synopsis, the Reader's Digest. So when we hear the Word of God and put it into a heart that already believes the world's lies, the result is life, but it's life without fruit. The, the result is not hell and damnation. There's a seed. It takes root. It springs up. The problem is it never really reproduces itself in discipleship or in faith or in fruitfulness, whatever that fruitfulness is. It never happens because it's, it's growing up simultaneous to other things that are demanding energy, demanding time, demanding allegiance, that, that are literally as, as an idol would taking the place of God. We, we cannot believe the Word and the world at the same time and have a fruitful life. There, there really is a decision that we have to make because there will be times called today, called here, called now, where what the world says is true and what the Word says is true are both saying something completely different. And in that moment where we're deciding to go left or go right, and the world says go right and the Word says go left, it's like, what, what do I do? I'm not saying if you turn right, you're going to hell. I'm not saying you follow the world if, if, if a worry gets you and you can't overcome it, if, if, a, if a pleasure overwhelms you to, to go this way rather than that. My experience is not I've lost my salvation. My experience is I've lost traction, I've lost time, and I've lost fruit. Tonight is not about getting to heaven. Tonight is about getting heaven through you into a world that desperately needs a bunch of fruity folks. We need the fruit of the Spirit. We need the kingdom of God to come to earth. And it only happens when people who turn left, people who, who say, I'll do it God's way, I'll, I'll believe God's word and apply it. Let me show you what this looks like. And we're, we're going to have three instances in just a, a very short uh, Luke chapter 9, and it's going to be about six verses, verse 57 through 62, where three different people are given the opportunity to be disciple number 13. There's 12 disciples. These three dudes are given the opportunity to be number, lucky number 13, right? And this is their response. Look at this. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, the hymn is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, okay, but foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he goes, oh, well, let me know when you fix that. Let me know when you got a place to lay. Let me know when you got a crib. Let me know when you got a hammock. Let me know when you got a nest. Let me know when you got a hole in the ground. But until you have, I'm, I'm not leaving everything and everyone to just have no security in the future. The cares, the worries, the pleasures, the troubles, 
choked this invitation. I, I'd like to be number 13. Jesus, will you pick me? I'd like to be number 13. Can I be number 13? Sure. But before you follow me, understand the rules of the game. Where I'm going, none of this, like, you can't bring your idols with you. There's no trunk for you to put your junk into. You follow me, and all you get is a cross and a king. And if that's cool, follow me. And if it's not, that's cool too. And the guy doesn't follow. The next one, same portion of scripture, he said to another man, now Jesus approached this guy, follow me. But he replied, Lord, I, I've got this dad. I mean, I gotta, I gotta bury him. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, that may seem cruel. Like, his old man died, and the funeral's on Tuesday, and you can't wait like two days for me to bury my dad? Understand, the day that Jesus was crucified, he was also buried. There's no refrigeration. There's no get on Facebook and tell everybody the funeral's a week from Thursday. I mean, surely he doth stinketh by now is what was said over Lazarus. So there, there's an odor. There's a bloating. There's a decomposition that happens to human bodies. How many of you guys know we weren't pretty when we were alive? We did. We just nasty, right? And so they, they buried people quickly in those days. And so he said, let me just go bury my... But what you don't understand is culturally what's happening is not what's actually being said. That's an accurate translation of the words that were used, but we don't understand their meaning without an explanation. This is what he's saying. As the oldest son, his father is now aged. He, he now is incapable of running the farm. Um, he's at the end of his last days. It'd be five years, 10 years, five weeks, five minutes. Nobody knows. But as the eldest son, he has a responsibility to manage the goods, the farm, the store, the, whatever that family's trade is. And he's saying, listen, if I leave now when he dies, the next oldest son gets everything and I get nothing. I, I will follow you. I'm, I'm totally in. You invited me. I'm honored. I'm, I'm flattered that you, had, I'm going to be number 13. The problem is for me to follow you now is to give up everything I've been waiting for my whole life. Anybody ever had Jesus ask you for everything you've been waiting for your whole life? It's crazy. And Jesus goes, well, I, the next one, Luke chapter 9, again. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, nope. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. So again, can you see there's cares here, there's worries here, there's pleasures here, there's desires for other things, there's security. And, and Jesus, and how many guys know we may not like it, and there's times we may not understand it, and certainly Jesus isn't asking for everything every day of everybody. But Jesus has the right to ask for anything he wants from us because he's not how do I say this the right way? Jesus doesn't need your stuff. And Jesus, to accomplish his will, doesn't even need like you as an individual. There's, there's, there's another five, six billion people to choose from if you say no. So what Jesus is doing is not demanding your stuff. He's opening a door to your destiny saying, I invite you now to see that you're more than just a farmer. You're more than just a person living a nine-to-five life drinking your, your Tim Hortons coffee. There's something better for you. There's more than weekend sports. There's more for you than just making a living. There's more than getting all the toys in the world and then dying with more of them than your neighbors so you can feel like a success compared to them. When Jesus is, is calling these people, he's saying, I will open the doors of the kingdom to you, but you can't bring your stuff with you. And one by one by one, these three men said, no, thank you, and they didn't follow him. So these are... These are huge. I get that. Like, these are like moments of being called to be number 13. Like, I have, I've, Jesus never called me to be like, like one of the 13, but, 
But I, I use that scripture tonight because I do think Jesus speaks to us on a regular basis. And I think he does open doors that no man can close, but we don't necessarily walk through them. The reason for these scriptures tonight is not to say, so when Jesus talks to you, become his disciple and quit your job and leave your family, get rid of your inheritance, sell the family business and give it to the poor. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying this. Those moments would have been life-defining moments. But I'm going to say to you, I think we have life-defining moments that come our way far more often than we would acknowledge. When I went to work that day, and I didn't feel like going to work that day, and she walked through the door, that changed my life. That obedience to serve was that I was, if she'd have been there when I wasn't there, I'm not sure we'd have ever met. When I said, will you marry me? And she said, no. But the next day repented and said, yes. It was, it was a defining moment. When we decided to come to Fenton, to, to a, a church that had a, a strong, strong, strong leadership in it, and they were all sticking around, and we want everything to change except the stuff we don't want to change, kid. You better not change that stuff, right? You were here. Where are you? You know what I'm talking about? It, it, was, it was hard. And, and uh, you know, but she said, I, I'm, I'm from a town of 120 people in the Panhandle, Oklahoma, and now I'm going to Fenton, Michigan, after living in the Valley of the Sun with a million people. Every time she said yes, God opened a door to another miraculous season of our life. We said yes to having kids, and we had said yes to coming here. And, and I'm telling you the same thing. There are go, there's going to be, and there has been, and there will be more times when God says, give that to me. And he's not taking anything from us. Are you getting this tonight? He's not taking something from us. He, he's, he's making sure that when we, when we pick up those things, we can carry them because we laid down other stuff and got our hands and our hearts free. You cannot bring your stuff sometimes. Sometimes Jesus says, it's got to be my way or the highway. So money, family, inheritance, all this, this isn't the problem. Jesus isn't saying those things are evil. If you have family, you should, you should do terrible things to them until they don't speak to you anymore. We have social media for that. We don't need Jesus to tell us to do that, right? It's not money is all evil. It's not that. But an inappropriate relationship where these things become Lord will lead us to a life that Jesus never designed us for. And in the end, there will be nothing but regrets, Right? It was their relationship with all of this stuff that stood in the way of a fruitful life. So Jesus says, you can't follow me with pockets full of idols. Either I am Lord or you're never going to make it where we're going. You realize the 12 all died terrible deaths, right? And it wasn't because there was money in it or fame or freedom for a nation. They simply died because Jesus led them to crosses of their own. And Jesus will do the same thing for us. So things like this, make promises like God does, right? Money says to us, I'll take care of you. Family says, I'll take care of you. Pleasures say, I'll take care of you. That, that worries, don't worry about that. If you have this, you never have to worry again, right? It says things like, I'll make you a somebody. I'm your protector and provider. I am your identity. You drive a Mercedes now. If we're gonna weed our faith, what would that look like? Like we're What's a starting place to weed the field of our hearts from the stuff that's going to be stealing from us? It's going to be, it's going to be draining resource, draining faith, draining joy. It's going to be draining life from us. What's, what's that look like? I, th- I think the best scripture I can come up with is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be metamorphosed. Uh, uh, you know what a metamorphosis is, right? Be, be transformed. It's not, you know, you were dirty and now you're clean, or you were rusty and now you've got paint. 
It's you used to be a bug and now you're a butterfly. You were a worm and now you're a butterfly. You were a tadpole and now you're a frog. You were something very other than, and then by the grace of God, you are transformed. And the mechanism that we must transform to have this, this new life, this to, to break away from the conformity, is our mind. Everybody say my mind. Your mind in your spiritual life does the exact same thing that your liver does for your, your, your physical body. It, it stops things that are poisonous. It stops things that are deadly. It's, it, it somehow, I don't know how a liver works. Um, I know what a, how a liver works, but I don't know how a liver works. But I, it, it, it somehow puts something around it and then gets rid of it. Poisons, toxins, all that kind of stuff. I'll research it by the next time I preach this. But, but something about the liver, it can, it can take all the junk that's in bread, that, that's a preservative. It can take all the junk that's in the water, take all the junk that's in the air, and once it gets in our bloodstream, once it hits the liver, the liver somehow stops it from going any farther and prevents us from dying of the poisons we take into our life. In the same way, you will be transformed. Metamorphosed. If, if you think the Word of God, you will live the will of God. Because when it is challenged, I am so ticked off. I've had this mattress sitting at my road. <laughs> True story. 11 days. I've been waiting. The garbage man goes by, looks at it. You're going to make a planner out of it? Pick up the mattress. My neighbors are getting mad at me. At least I think in my imagination they're pretty upset. They're upset at me before the mattress. How are they going to be not upset about me now, right? And you're not doing your job. I called three times yesterday. We'll pick it up. We'll pick it up. We'll pick it up. Guess what happened? They didn't pick it up. So I called him this morning and said, listen, I'm about to go absolutely bananas on somebody's rear end. And she was so nice, I couldn't even be mean to her. How frustrating that is, right? Well, in my head and in my heart, by the time I hung up, I said, listen, it's just, I hope I'm not being impatient with you. She said, sir, if I was in your shoes, I, you, you know why I wasn't like getting, saying what I wanted to say? Because in my head, I'm hearing, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and be slow to become angry. Because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Let me tell you something. My desire was different from God's word. And yours is too. So why am I not just giving her both barrels? Well, I, because God told me not to. And it's a captive that thought. It makes it obedient to Christ until it thinks what Jesus thinks. And then it's free to go. Then it's free to, to live in my life. And the same thing's true here. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The cares, worries, troubles, pleasures, desire for other things. Don't, don't, don't let that be, be the molding force of your life. But be transformed as you learn the word of God. That is the way we read our field. Eugene Peterson wrote a, a translation of the Bible. It's called The Message. It's one man's translation. So I, we try to be careful. We only use it kind of supplementally. We don't say this is the word of God. But this is Eugene Peterson's take. This is his King Jim version. He says this. Um, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, here's the thing we're supposed to do. Get rid of the thing we're not supposed to do. This is what we're supposed to do. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. Just make eye contact with everybody and then I'll look back again, all right? God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's, that's his version of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. But do you get that? By, by taking that thought captive, making you obedient to Christ, by being transformed by the renewing of your mind, good things happen. Let me say this. Piano guy, join me if you would. What time is it? Oh, yeah, I got three minutes. Um, I think this is, this is what's helping me, and let it help you as well. When I look through the world and its truths and its systems and its 
its methodologies and its, its cries and its decrees and its mantras. I look through the world at the Word of God. I often end trying to make some sort of hybrid compromise. But when I look at the Word of God and through the Word of God at the world, there's a lot more clarity. I, I understand what's happening if I have the Word of God first and then look at what's happening around me than if I look at what's happening around me and try to make it fit the Bible. I, I think it's kind of like this. I saw that picture. I love I might get that tattooed on my thigh. I'm just saying, isn't she adorable? I think I see the queen. You know, she's, I can just hear her doddering on. It's fun. She's everybody's grandmother, somewhere in Europe, I assume, right? If you're, if the angle through which you look at life or the lens through which you look at life is anything less than the word of God, everything she's seeing is, is skewed by what she's looking through. And the same is true with us. Now, if we look through the word of God, in the right direction, I think we get to see things that really only God knew about before we look through that lens. We will see solutions, faith-based, God-promised solutions to the problem of man, or I think, I think I see the queen. Things are so bad right now. Look how tiny they all look. I'm sorry, I hear her voice in my head. I think she's adorable. So the question is this. I mean, Let's do the math again. The seeds of the Word of God, we know those are true, those are good, but instead of adding the weeds, we're going to subtract things like worries, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for riches and pleasure that get us all askew, and the desire for other things, things other than what the seed gives us. And what happens is, according to this parable, Jesus says we'll be mature, we'll be fruitful plants, we'll yield amazing harvest 30, 60, or 100 times what's sown. Does that make sense? And I, and I really think it's as simple as making a choice. Will we look through the Word to decide what our life is and be transformed? Or will we look the wrong direction through the world, trying to make the world's truth somehow fit into Scripture? All three of those people that could have been disciple number 13, all of them, they, they look through the wrong direction. If I follow him, I have to give up. I have to give up. I have to give up. The guys, I, I, you know, if you follow me, you're not, I don't have a hole to sleep in. I have a tree to sleep in. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He goes, oh, I don't want to give up a house. How many guys know he didn't give up a house? He gave up a mansion on streets of gold. That's what he gave up because he looked through what he had, what he wanted, what his goals were, middle class, you know, Israeli, you know, the 2.3 kids, the white picket fence, the thatched roof the dog named Amorite that he could kick when he wanted to. Instead of, instead of looking through his dreams that were part of this compressing of expectations of the world around him, if it had just seen that the Son of God said, follow me, then your life would be completely different. His life would have been very different. I hope he got the dog. I hope he got, you know, the, the, the two-chariot garage. But you and I would both agree that he would give it all up today if he realized what he was really giving up. You cannot have the weeds grow up amongst the wheat without, it'll grow. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. I'm saying the 30, 60, and 100-fold harvest that is to be your life, your response to these words that Jesus speaks, if they go nowhere, why? I, I just couldn't, I just didn't want, I just, you'll, you'll regret it. I'll close with this, okay? Um, 
I think that every day, multiple times, I, I catch myself there and go back to there. I catch myself there and I'm tempted by that. I, I don't, these are like, like one-time things. But how many guys, that's a decision you've got to make like 27 times a minute sometimes. It's as simple as turning the channel and deciding whether or not you're going to turn the TV off, watch another show, and you kind of feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Or, you know, I'm going to watch the news, I'm going to read the Bible. Am I going to spend time with good friends or friends that drag me down? Am I going to make good decisions? Or, am, is, am I going to be me-centric and go eat a whole pizza because I had a bad day covered in meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and gravy on top of the pizza? Or am I going to have something that's better for me than that? And, and physical, emotional, and spiritual, we make decisions whether we're going to look one way through the Word in our life our life to the word and try to squeeze Jesus in somewhere. So now you know what the problem is. I think we have a scripture to stand on that tells us what to do. I think you understand what your brain, your mind's role is in this. I think if Romans 12, 2 to think about and meditate on, you have a clear example. You have illustrations in your own lives. We've already said it's happened to me today. How many of you guys dealt with worry in the last eight minutes? Everybody laughed and kind of raised their hand. Like, we cannot get to where Jesus is calling us if we're afraid of missing out on the things the world has promised us, missing the things that God has promised us. So, Father, I pray that today, whether they're listening at home on live stream or they're sitting here in this room right now, God, and I'm, I'm not praying for them. I'm praying for all of us. I'm in this prayer too. Fill our hearts and our minds with your word that whatever you ask, our answer is yes. Whatever you ask, our answer is yes. Just one more minute. A friend of mine came up to me about a year ago. He had a real serious look on his face. I said, what's going on? You okay? He said, I'm good. I just, just talking to God. I said, about what? He said, I just told him yes. I said, really? That's awesome. But what was the question? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you don't know? What would you say yes to? He said, I have no idea. I just felt like the Lord said, do you trust me? And I said, yes. I don't know what's in front of you. And I don't know how to ask the question with human words that my friend was asked by the Holy Spirit, divine words. But I think there's a divinity in the question. Will you trust me to be your blesser, to be superior in every way to the options that the world would give you? Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you sacrifice knowing that it's not a sacrifice? It's an investment in something greater. Will you leave anything I ask you to leave? Will you give anything I ask you to give? Will you go anywhere I command you to go? Will you be 100% of the time, 100% mine? And without even knowing what that, the ramifications of that, I'm telling you as sure as I'm standing here, as sure as you're sitting where you are right now, the right answer before he asks the question is yes. Everybody wants Jesus as Savior, but this is much deeper than the forgiveness of sins. This is, this is the position of lordship in our lives. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're like, Jim, tonight I, I need both. I need a Savior, and I need to give my life and all that's left of it to a king worth living for, to a, a master that I can trust, to a friend that's made promises, to a father who's offered adoption. I need, I need, I need, I just, I need him. You hear, and you're like, you're there, but I, I need, I need to make a decision about what I've just heard. I need to before I leave, before I turn off the TV, before I get back to my normal life, I need to make a supernatural decision.
to say yes. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to look, not look. God hears your heart. The answer is yes, tell him. Before you do, the last guy I knew that said this is on his way to northern Asia as a missionary. The last guy I knew who said this, he's on his way to pastoring a very, very difficult situation, struggling church. The last guy I knew, the last lady that said yes to this, got drugged to someplace she'd never been before, which she had to spend the last 25 years. It's a dangerous prayer, but it unlocks. It's a small key that unlocks a huge door. Father, give us grace to, to accept that key and put it in the lock and turn it and then open the doors of your kingdom wide as we follow you as our king in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.